we're moving into a next version of the industry where I mean, if you crack hiring, you've got a huge advantage over any of your competitors because the difference is what customer buys from you every day. I've never found one. If I hire the right team member, they might be with me 15, 20 or 30 years. They show up every day. I think that's the big benefit that we're talking about. Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. Martin, who's the last employee you hired? Do you remember? It's been a while. You know, I really don't. <laughs> I remember the last one I fired because <laughs> it was kind of a big deal. Yeah, probably 15 years. It yeah. was a big deal. I've, uh, I've okay. forced one at this point having more employees. You all, well, you, you've got a really good business for it as a business coach, but, um, you know, if you're in some sort of construction trade, it's, you have to, well, a team, you know, few people jump me on it because I preach all the time, a highly profitable business that can work without you. That's the goal. Um, and you can't do that without people. I mean, yeah, you really can't, <laughs> I, I guess there, you know, there'd be some electronic types of ways, technologies, but really they're the first and uh, most enduring form of leverage. Uh, not just the employees who are doing yeah. work, work, work in the field, but your successors and the people are gonna, you're gonna delegate to. So, if you want to grow a business uh, to sell or a successful business that can work without you, your constant attention, um, it requires hiring people. It does. Well, we've got uh, Matt Debarra. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thanks for having me. Did I say the last name right? Yes, you did. Okay. I, I know. I, I actually don't feel bad if I say someone's last name right because everyone says my last name wrong. It's just part of it. You just don't say my last name. It's too complicated. Um, now, thanks for coming on. And you're with Contractor Consultants, but you've got a huge background in the construction industry that we're going to dive into. And really, the you know topic of the episode is hiring. And I'm excited to to talk and walk through the entire process. But why don't you tell us, you're from the Boston area. You're now in LA. Tell us about how you got to where you are right now and your family's background in construction. Well, it's, it starts like any good story. It's a love story. Um, <laughs> when, when my grandparents got together, uh, so on the East Coast, when they got together, both their fathers, so my great-grandfathers were contractors or builders. Um, and so they both built their homes from the ground up, my great-grandfathers, both of them. And then my grandfather took over. It became a business when they started working for neighbors. So people would say, hey, you know, I saw you built this house, you know, can you help me with this? And it just grew from there, you know, went on to my grandfather, uh, my father, my uncle. And then I started real young because all I knew was my dad working in the field. And if I wanted to see him, I had to work. So um, <laughs> yeah, nine, nine years old was when I started and I quickly grew in the business uh, because my dad was very, he was old school. You know, it was like, hey, here you go. You know, here's the show. We'll figure it out. And that was kind of the start of the journey in it my role in the company was really seeing how things were done and then being a younger person, optimizing and growing the business um, and really looking at how I could modernize it given our family history. Wow. I'm sure you, you mentioned to us earlier that you moved the company from the East Coast all the way to Los Angeles. Uh, I'm sure for warmer weather and maybe some other reasons, but uh, what was like the biggest challenge with that migration? A lot. Oh my gosh. How much time do we have? Um, <laughs> we, we got time. <laughs> um, 
you know, I grew I grew in the business, so there was a little bit of a struggle of who was going to take it over, like in the sense that like my dad was like, "Hey, you know, I want you to take this thing over," but when it came time, it was a little bit that transition was difficult. And so I got licensed when I was in college. We kind of we got to a boiling point where uh, not in a negative way, but in the sense of I saw the yellow pages going out and I saw websites and this new age coming in. And I said, look, we got to modernize. Like, we got to take control of our marketing. We need to hit this next generation, this next wave. And he's like, this stuff doesn't work. And he says, if you think you could do better, do it yourself. So I got licensed in college and I signed up for some lead gen platforms. And I was a sophomore. I had a pick old pickup truck and I was doing jobs nights and weekends. And I got a call for this big restoration project, like right around a quarter of a million dollars. And I couldn't do it. So I called my dad up and I said, hey, Pops, I got this job. Do you want it? And I said, you know, it's this is what it is. He goes out and he closes it, calls me up and he's like, hey, maybe we should talk. This lead gen thing works. He's like, here, I think you're right. So, um, you know, we, we, we had our thing figured out. But while I was licensed, the point of the story is while I was licensed, yeah, I was working on my own and, and I, I realized because I was doing a little soul searching. I was like, I don't think I like the cold. And so that was really the main driver for um, for moving the company out. But I took kind of a step out for I was still helping them and doing bids, but took a step out for six, eight. It was like an eight month stint we laugh about. But that really sparked the 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 space for me to think about what do I want to do, where do I want to go. Yeah. I don't like the cold weather. And then that led to, well, I had a friend in California. Let's give this a shot. Excellent. Cool. And so how long have you been in California now? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, about 10 really? years, nine and a half, 10 wow. years now. Okay. So you went out there with, uh, you walked away from all your referrals and local references and known quantities. And it's a, so basically completely yeah. started over except with the knowledge that you had. Yeah. We had the family, uh, we had the family history. It's like a, I joke, but like my family's Italian. If you think of an Italian restaurant, it's like I took the recipe book and the, that old school <laughs> teaching and I went out and it went to the to the West Coast. And, you know, my grandfather used to say, he'd say, you know, because we started working for neighbors. He said, look, if you treat every customer like they're your neighbor, you'll never make the wrong decision. I remember him telling me that when I was 10 years old. And so there was like these little adages that I realized later in life served as the building blocks for how I was able to be successful in L.A. But it was those old school things that I was taught. That's awesome. I love it. So, you know, part of you, you know, you mentioned that now you're up to like 15 crews, you guys, and you're doing, uh, I don't know if we've said what you're actually doing, your masonry, is that right? Yeah, masonry, concrete, we're licensed generals too. Um, but that's okay. usually just because we tie in other work, you know, so we have sure. that. Yeah, residential, okay. commercial, and then we do some prevailing wage and government work. Okay, excellent. So obviously getting up to 15 crews, you've had a lot of hiring in the past 10 years. Um, and I'm sure that it hasn't all been glamorous, but I think you've probably figured it out by this point. And now you've got this newer endeavor called contractor consultants. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that was born out of born out of pain and necessity. Um, <laughs> it wasn't, I wish I had a better, better story for why, why it came about. I happened. So moving from the Boston area and being in masonry and concrete, when I moved to Los Angeles, there was a shortage of masons, concrete finishers in a big way. And so I, you know, I was like swinging a baseball bat and I had a 50 pound weight on my bat because I just couldn't find people. And the problem with that was the market was really good. And so right around 20, sort of in 2019, right around 2019, 2020, 
I was at the pinnacle of my LA business. I was doing a couple celebrity homes. I had a big government job. We were doing the Los Angeles National Cemetery, a big ribbon cutting ceremony. It was, and I wasn't paying to attention to the struggles of hiring. So we're selling, selling, selling work. I thought, because I was brought up in 2008, right? So I saw people go out of business for not having work. I didn't think you could go out of business for having too much work. I didn't realize that, but I hadn't learned that lesson yet. So, you know, I'm selling. I, I joke that I'm a recovering sales junkie because I thought if you sold enough work, right? Like that's it. That's all you had to do. And so pinnacle of the business, we're selling work. My management team, project manager, site super, they're like, hey, Matt, we can't find anybody. I'm like, we'll call so-and-so. You know, he's a small company. He'll come help us. He's like, yeah, we did. Doesn't want to help. I'm like, okay, post another ad on Craigslist. We've been doing that for two weeks, not working. So I had all this work. I lost nearly a million dollars in the span of three weeks. It was jobs canceling, jobs overrun. And so I almost killed the family brand and business. And that set about a journey for me to reinvent the next version of myself because I prided, I was proud of the fact that, you know, I was like, I modernized the business. I understood sales and marketing, right? But then I, I, didn't do any of that on the hiring. I was hiring like my grandfather hired. And so I was laughing because I was like, gosh, that lesson that I was trying to teach my dad, I fell victim to. And that started a quest to figure out what worked. And the LA market just happened to be really difficult. So I had to learn how to, I mean, 20% of our hires, we had to bring from other cities and states in the country just because there wasn't enough people to meet demand. But it lent to a system that I figured out over the course of about a year and a half that then served as the foundation for what we teach and do for other people. To give you a little bit of backstory as to how oh, it came that's about. That's fantastic. That's great. So you said you're recovering sales junkie. Um, how similar do you feel like the marketing sales process is to the hiring process of looking for customers versus looking for clients? I think it, it's, a, it's a mirror. Even, even down to the point where I think the emphasis for a lot of us is on sales and marketing, but we've got a lot of resources now. You know, there's a lot out there to help on the sales and marketing side. On the hiring side, it's so local specific that I think they mirror each other, but I think we, we're moving into another generation, a next version of the industry where I think hiring is really, I mean, if you crack hiring, I mean, you've, you've, you've got a huge advantage over any of your competitors because the difference is if I sell a customer, right? I might have that customer Maybe I got them on a membership plan or maybe there's some type of reoccurring commercial relationship. But if I sell or hire the right team member, they might be with me 15, 20 or 30 years. What customer buys from me every day? I've never found one. If you find any, let me know. Right. But yeah. like the internal customer, they show up every day. And that's the I think that's the big benefit that we're talking about. No, that's great. I once heard um, I think it was the COO of Chipotle say that they're not in the business of selling burritos and food that they're actually in the business of retaining and advancing like low entry labor <laughs> just if we can retain low entry labor we've done it <laughs> and that's like their well, biggest challenge is hiring just can they keep uh, someone at $12 an hour $15 an hour employed and to stay there so um really interesting well let's dive into a process for hiring what do you see most construction companies out there doing what were you doing before this? You kind of already referenced a couple of things, looking for the small contractor, see if he'd jump on, posting it out on Craigslist. But what do you what do you see most people doing? Well, I think the first thing that starts before you do anything is a, a shift in mindset. 
And what I mean by that is if I was, if I was standing in front of a group of people and I said, okay, how many of you raise your hand if you want to grow your business? Right? Hands go up. Okay. Raise your hand if you have a revenue goal. You want to grow your business by a certain amount of revenue. You know, you're doing 5 million, you want to go to 10. You're doing 10, you want to go to 20, right? Maybe you're doing a million, you want to go to two. Okay. What's the org chart you have under the current business? Now, what's the org chart you need to support the business growth and revenue that you want to have? Hmm. Now, when I do this in, in real life, the hands go up. People know the revenue that they want to achieve. They have some idea or strategy about what they want to do to achieve that revenue, right? Sales, marketing, business development. Maybe it's a rebrand, right? Maybe it's acquisitions. There's all these different ways. Um, but now you look at that org chart. What is your clear, predictable, proven track record plan to fill these positions? <laughs> and how many positions do you need? So it's like we, I equate it to, you know, it's, it's like thinking about a destination that you want to go to. That's your revenue. But like what vehicle and road you're going to take is the employees and the team to support that. And so it starts with a shift of mindset. I think if, if every business owner listening made the owl their company mascot, they would be way better off. And what I mean by that is if you think of an owl, what does an owl do? It says who, 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 and it can rotate its head all the way around. I think if every business owner spun their head around looking around for who, who, who all the time and the owl became your company mascot, like if you take one thing away from this and, and it becomes that and you ask yourself constantly, who do I need and where can I find them is the follow-up question. I yeah. think your, your business would transform. It's, it's mental real estate first and then we get into like all the things that you can do. But the size of the problem and the size of the opportunity I think are greatly underestimated. Man, really, really great. A lot of what we talk about on here, you're just firing off on all cylinders. So I love to hear it. And it sounds like that mindset really it leads to you thinking about the identity of your company and what you really need. Like who, who do I need? Where can I find them? What are some of the identity pieces? And when I say identity, I kind of mean like for me, uh, vision for your company, like you mentioned revenue goal, where are we going? What are our goals? What's our mission? What are the values that we have? What are our core behaviors we want our employees to embody? How do you go through a discovery of, you know, outlining that business identity with, with your customers as, as, as a consultant? So great question. It starts with an exercise that we, we go through called, would you work for you? <laughs> and nope, it's very simple, <laughs> right? <laughs> so you go online, you pretend you know nothing about your company and you Google yourself and you looking at your website again, as a candidate. So you might have great customer videos. You might have these amazing customer reviews, right? Client reviews. You might have some videos that show the kind of work you do. But remember, I'm looking to work for your company. I'm not looking to buy from your company, right? So it's a completely different messaging. So the, the exercise of would you work for you sets the foundation for is my brand, my hiring brand set up for success? Do I have a video that showcases, you know, other people working here with cuts as a testimonial of those people? I've been here 20 years, you know, Matt's a, great boss, you know, I pay him to say that, right? No. Um, <laughs> or it's, it's that brand, right? Do you have a career page or a, a beautiful page that showcases the benefits? And then once you have that, or while you're looking for that, you get to do the next thing. So here's what, here's what baffles me. I've done this many times in, in, in live events. 
I'll ask people, how many of you know your competitors? How many of you know that if you bid a job and XYZ company bids it, you'll never get it? Or every time XYZ company bids it, you're going to come in 10% lower because they're, they're that one company that maybe charges a little bit more than you, but you're better, right? Like most business owners, we know our competitors, but what about our hiring competitors? So yeah. if I'm a candidate, right? I'm a, I'm a carpenter and I live in Oklahoma. I just moved there. What am I going to do? What's the journey? So I might go online and say, you know, carpentry, foreman positions, Oklahoma, the city I'm in. Who shows up? Who's competing for that candidate's real estate? Who are your hiring competitors? So these two exercises set the foundation for who are we actually competing against? Because this is a customer that might be with, you know, internal customer. This is the person that might be with you for 10, 20, 30 years. So it's like, how hard would you fight for a client if I could guarantee you that client would buy from you every day? You'd, you'd have, you'd be billboards, we'd be door knock, like whatever you had to do to land that business. But then when yeah. it comes to hiring, most of us, you know, I was guilty of all these things, right? So I'm talking about me here. I didn't know who my hiring competitors were. And then I find out that they've got banner ads. They offer all these benefits that I didn't have. They had these really exciting headlines. You see them on 27 different job boards. So when you type in a position, it's like they're, they own the whole first page. And then I'm looking at it going, well, gosh, this might explain why I was struggling to hire the, you know, those years back. You can't yeah. find me. And when you do, you don't see anything. Yeah. It's, uh, why do you feel like it's so, what, for you, why did you overlook it so much? Was it just a, you know, you didn't, you couldn't see your own bald spot thing or did you feel like they weren't as important? I mean, I, maybe on the East coast, there were a lot more access to masonry and that, so it wasn't really that big of a challenge, but what's your, what's your take? I, I honestly think for me, it came down to just not. So the mindset of hiring, I remember my dad growing up and, you know, we let somebody go and we replaced them before we got home. Literally. Right. Like we let him go. He leaves. My dad makes four phone calls. Yeah. Be at the job, you know, be at the yard at 530 AM done. The wow. dynamic shifted, but I don't know that the mindset of the business owner has shifted with it. And I think like, for example, I didn't really, part of what I built with the course and, and with what we do was really about solving my needs and trying to help other business owners because like I never saw my dad growing up. My dad was one of the hardest working people you'd ever meet. My dad worked Saturdays, worked Sundays, nights, weekends. I mean, 4 a.m. to 6, 7, 8 o'clock at night every day. And I just don't think we did. It's one of those things where it's like, it's one of those great mysteries where I don't know why we don't see it. And that's why I joked about the owl is like, if the amount of VC venture capital money going into our field of construction and the first question they're asking, and I know because I've consulted with some of these firms, is they're, they're acquiring companies based on the people. So if, if both things are true, if I could have a business that runs without me, I need a great team, right? Or if I want to sell my business, the people buying it are predominantly going to look heavily at the org chart. They're going to run background checks. They're going to want to know who the senior leadership team is. They're going to, so it's like, I honestly think part of it is that maybe the big companies don't want to get this out, the real big ones, because you know, there's such a limited pool. So maybe the small and medium sized businesses, it's like, why would I go out and spill this information to make it more competitive for me? I don't know. I, I think one of the main transitions I see with uh, almost everybody, and it is changing, is that it used to be uh, command and control down from the top. And I mean, we're actually years past that now. So it's not a new, but there's still people who think I'm the boss 
you know, I'll tell you where to show up. They don't realize that people are interviewing them, right? And I, you, you're talking about marketing uh, to attract candidates. And yeah, I love the analogy, the metaphor. It's exactly what it is. And you are being interviewed while you're interviewing that person. And what are you saying? And you, you mentioned earlier to that point, you know, how do you find your, your identity as a, as a company and how do you, you know, how do you amplify that? It starts with understanding what your competitors are doing and auditing, like, what are they doing for pay? What are they doing for benefits? And maybe, you know, maybe you're a smaller, medium-sized company and you can't match all of those things. But one thing you can do is take the top three people you have in your company that you want to clone. They've been there 12 years, 15 years, right? Maybe five if you're a new business. Sit them down individually and at, spend 30 minutes on an interview. Hey, why do you show up every day? What do you like about working here? What do you, you know, what do you, what do you enjoy most about what we do as a company? You know, we, we do these things with customers, right? So we'll, we'll ask a customer, hey, where'd you find us? I found you on, on you know, through so-and-so. Great. What'd you like about us? Oh, I love this process. So we do the, the research when it comes to our customers to know how to become a better client-facing brand. We can do that same internal audit to figure out, and you'll find cra crazy things. You know, maybe it's you celebrate birthdays. Maybe it's for smaller companies like we were at one point. It was the fact that I, as the owner, was intimate with every single person that worked here. So now I've got a competitive advantage from all these big companies when I was much smaller, you know, three crews, interact with the owner every day, you know, one on one mentorship and guidance, like growth and, and, and connection, right, in, in the business. And those are what we were able to attract the people that corporation. I remember I hired somebody and I couldn't believe this worked. So I figured this out, started advertising it, hired a site superintendent. And he took the job and I asked him, I said, okay, we, we gave you about the same pay. What made you want to work here? He said, I've spent more time with you as the owner of this business in this interview than I have the owner of my company in the last 12 years. He said, that's why I want to work here. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. That's such a big thing though. Asking why just on the sales and marketing side, how did you hear about us? Like, where did you find us? Was it a Google search? Was it one of our ads that we run on social media? Was it because we put a yard sign in someone's yard? Why did you find, how did you find us? Same exact process for the hiring side. How did you find us? And why did yeah. you choose us? What stuck out? And then if you ever lose anybody, same thing, right? It's like, I hey, can I ask you, what is it that you didn't like about us? You know, I'd love to just take a couple minutes of your time and maybe give them something, gift them a coffee or whatever, a gift card to Starbucks, right? Hey, 10 minutes of your time. What, what was it that you, you know, this company offered me, I found out one time, uh, vacation time as I was growing was a huge thing. Like mm -hmm. I found out that competitors were wiping the floor with us for vacation time. So I had to come up with some, at the time, this is going back a while, but we came up with, to give strategies to the listeners, like we came up with this way where you could accrue more vacation time. So we were able to advertise in the job posting four weeks paid vacation. They come in for the interview, we're telling them how they can get there. Yeah. But I got way more attention from the candidates versus my competitors who were saying two or three weeks, right? So then they're trying to up it. But I didn't know that that was such a hot button for, for right. this new generation of talent. And, and, yeah. and so instead of this bonus, I had, I had two weeks paid vacation plus bonus. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna make the bonus, the vacation. You bonus up to another two weeks. We'll show them how to get there. So I reframe the ad. All of a sudden I'm getting way more applicants. Yeah, so much of it is perspective. We had uh, <laughs> Tom Reber on maybe two months ago. And it's one of the points he makes is quit selling to your wallet. You know, you, you've got these pre, you know, Hey, they want money. They, 
they can't live on what we're, you know, you think it's that and that's not it at all. And uh, the other thing you said, he's talking about customers, but they buy from you for their reasons, not yours. Find out what they are. <laughs> so it's the same thing here. They work, come work for you for their reasons. All your interviews, understanding what those reasons are. And they're not your reasons. And I think it's, you know, like, have you ever, have either of you ever been bitten by a horse? Actually, I have. Um, I have not. Yeah. Not spent a lot of time with horses. Most people haven't, right? But most people have been bitten by a mosquito. So what's the analogy here? Sometimes it's the little things that get you, right? (laughs) And so it's about going deep on those little things, right? Like take the 10 minutes to do the interview with the person that's been there 15 years. Take the 20 minutes to audit your hiring competitors, right? Which we've discussed so far, you know, take the, the 15 or 20 minutes to figure out what maybe a candidate who, if you had three or four people, even if they took another job, we used to follow up. If I found a really good resume, I would call that person once every two weeks ongoing, even though I knew that they had already taken a job. I'd see online that they updated it to another company. I'm like, I got to know how that company got that person. I have to know. And so, but yeah. it's those little details, the mosquitoes, like going deep on these little things that can completely shift your business. Yeah, man. So good. So let's go back to the process really fast. So I, I call it mapping. What do what you, whenever you're at the beginning, just thinking about who you are as a company, where we're trying to go, who we need, where can we find them? You know, what do you call that first part of that, that phase? So in the course, we called it a clear understanding. So it was clear really, under- yeah. right. What else are we missing there? Like job description, roles and responsibilities, processes they can follow. Like that's kind of the understanding, right? Or what else would you add to it, I guess? So understanding your competitors, understanding who you want, understanding Mm -hmm. where to find them, which we can talk about. The other big one is don't hire for unicorns. So Mm. I, I did this. I was guilty. This cost me years. And what I mean by that was, so I used to believe that if you were going to be an estimator, at my construction company, you needed to know how to estimate brick, block, stone, tile, stucco, grading, concrete, site work, drainage, and waterproofing. Want to know how I know those so well? Because that was literally on the, on the ad. Like, that was it. If you could, yeah. If you couldn't tick one of those boxes, you were O-U-T faster than I could say N-O. Right? <laughs> and so part of this setup is we, we figured out that we ended up niching down the business and, and focusing. So I've split masonry and concrete up. I pulled the waterproofing division out. I divisionalized the business. And so I was able to triple and quadruple the people that I could bring in. So the first thing, one of the exercises you can do is what we call high skill equals high pay. So before you do anything, take all the key people you have and write down on a daily, weekly, monthly basis what they're doing. And so it's this concept of, how do I optimize my team before I maximize? And there's two parts to it. One is looking at, do they actually have to, have to, have to know all of these things? Going back to my estimator example, I was like, well, they don't have to know waterproofing. You know, they don't, I mean, it'd be nice, right? You know, they don't have to know site work and grading. I could split and hire two you know, senior estimators and have one run one division, run one run another. Like that. So that's one piece. The other one is trim the fat So if you do this exercise, what you'll find is you might find a project manager that's going around printing plans and you realize they're spending three or four hours a week going around 
picking up office supplies or printing plans, or maybe they're dropping off samples or submittals. So when you take every position and you optimize it first, what you'll find is, oh, I've got efficiency and reallocation already in my company. You might be able to take a project manager and hire two project engineers and get the equivalent of two really good project managers now. But I hired a lower skill, more available position. So it's, it's that allocation of resources first, and then you go into, all right, what do I need? But that exercise, because it's so difficult, changes the framework. Hmm. Man, love that. Just really getting clear on what you actually need and, and what not being set in your ways. Like you said, it starts with mindset of just kind of opening it up your mind a little bit. Um, love it. Hey, cash flow contractors, really quick. I wanted to ask Martin a question that I get asked all the time. What is business coaching? Great question. Business coaching in my mind is when a coach or mentor or guide comes alongside you in your journey and provides education, information, and accountability to make progress towards goals that you identify. Most of the clients I work with, our goal is to create a profitable business that can work without them and give them their lives back with less stress, more free time, and more money. I've seen what you do. You're excellent at it. In business, it can be very lonely, but you don't have to be alone. You can pay people to do things for you. It's not usually that helpful, but if you do things with someone alongside you, like a business coach, it's extremely valuable to building a profitable business that runs without you. How can people get started with business coaching? Best way to do it is to click on the link in my calendar or go to my webpage and click on the link and book a time with me, uh, no cost. They're 20 minute or 30 minute sessions. I can understand what you're looking for. And maybe you can understand whether or not I feel that need for you. Well, we'll put that link down in the show notes. Please click it, schedule a time with Martin. It's free, it's valuable, and maybe you need a business coach. Back to the episode. Okay, so let's say that we have a clear understanding. What's the next step? So next step is job descriptions. So you've got a compelling job description. You've got your, uh, so what is a compelling job description? Talks about your company. Um, you have three to five key things selling the candidate on why they should work for you. You know, no commute greater than an hour, guaranteed overtime. Like what are the three, if I was in an elevator with you and you're trying to recruit me to work for your company, hey, I work for XYZ Roofing. Oh, you'd love this company, man. I get like, what are the three things? I get guaranteed overtime. You know, if my, my wife, when she was pregnant, they, they, the whole time, you know, they gave me family leave. And they've got this amazing growth plan. I can bonus 20% of my salary, right? Like boom, boom, boom. Okay, now I want to apply. So job description. When you're posting, understanding where to post. So LinkedIn, huge resource. Really understanding and optimizing LinkedIn. And I want to talk about that for a second. Um, as we talk about channels, I think oh, I got, even myself at times for certain roles, I think, man, they're probably not on LinkedIn. You know, they... They didn't go to college, so they probably don't, you know, have that uh, as a channel that they're on. Like, what's your opinion? You you think that LinkedIn's awesome? Ian, you're talking about masonry, so let's understand that a little bit more. Well, so in the course, we have 37 proven ways to find candidates. There you go. So it's you know the the if you've ever been fishing, you know that sometimes more lines you know lines and hooks in the water, the more likely you are to get a fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. The, the game of hiring is not about, it's not always about scalability. I'm not trying to catch 10 fish from this one spot with this one worm. I'm trying to catch one fish, reel it in, 
and then reevaluate my strategy. I might even go home. I might say, I got a big one. I'm good for the day. Right. So when you have that mindset, like we still hire people off of Craigslist. I found very qualified people off Craigslist. I found senior, you know, roles in the company off of Craigslist, maybe once every year, year and a half, you know, my construction company, but it doesn't mean that it's not a, it's not a viable channel. And so the harder it is to find something, the more diversified you want to be. So it's posting on, you know, if you're not posting to 15 to 20 different job boards, including LinkedIn, you're limiting your chances right off the gate. And then if you are doing that, now it's about how are you tracking the data? Where are the candidates coming from? And one thing we do for clients when we do this process for them is we, we keyword and headline test. So we're working with the algorithms. We're trying different headlines. Some might be a touch more corporate. Some might be a little bit more nail on the head, you know, top pay, hiring masons, you know, versus like, you know, a growing fourth generation business seeking, you know, qualified masonry applicants. Like we might try different things because it's just about getting that click in their attention in that first phase, right? We're not, the, the job description's duty is to sell them on the next phase. The headline is to say, ooh, what's this job? Yeah. So obviously, uh, glad that you mentioned that this is something that you're helping people with. You've already mentioned a course as well. Uh, it just seems like a lot to manage as a business owner when I'm running around also doing the projects, also handling my current employees. I'm looking for this one fit that I need in the next two weeks because we got the job starting. Um, how do you, what, what are some things like, uh, ATS applicant tracking software? Is that something that you recommend people use? What are some tools that people can use to, you know, post to all these different channels and manage the listings and the applicants, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, this is, this is why we started what we do. Um, we never intended to help companies with this. So it happened by accident. We, we built a course. Basically my goal was to package all this stuff up system, right? How do you find them? How do you vet them? How do you hire them? And how do you retain them? And then we got we got a little bit of hate online when we were advertising the beginning part of it. They're like, if you're so good, fake guru, why don't you just do this for us? And so that stemmed a question in my head, which was, well, maybe we should look into that. And so, you know, if you're doing it yourself, I think the big thing is you got to find somebody that's dedicated to doing this because it needs time every day, right? Like if you, you, you know, we brush our teeth every day, right? We don't wake up and think, ah, maybe I won't, you know, maybe I won't shower today. Like it's an everyday thing. It just has to happen. And this going back to our original point about the org chart, right? Most company, I want to go from a million to 3 million. Well, the revenue is typically out there, depending on where you are. You know, you just look at the number of competitors you have. So we find may, usually it's infrastructure and people that hold you back from getting there. So if it is a big opportunity, that's how you solve it. So, um, you know, you need someone that's dedicated because speed to lead is super important. So a resume comes in. Like if we're doing this for a company, we get back to every candidate within three to five minutes and we have a call that usually within 24 hours set, ready to go. And we're able to go through resumes that you can't, if you come at this from the mindset, you're looking for a needle in a haystack, which is what it is. You'll look for a needle in a haystack. And what I mean by that is we hired for a a company recently. One of the things I saw was we hired a, um, a project manager. He was a teacher for four years. That was his most recent career. But if you scroll down on his resume, he had 12 years of project management experience. If you weren't really looking at the resume closely and then had the time to call that person, the average you know, employer, me, three years ago, I'd be like, teacher for three years? Yeah, they don't know construction. Boom, next. 
this was a phenomenal candidate making career shifts because of changes in their family. But it's about, you know, having that dedicated person that can manage the applicant tracking system, manage the job postings, respond to candidates within three to 10 minutes, schedule same day interviews, follow up interviews, background checks, reference checks, candidate, um, you know, rejection process, because that protects your brand. You don't want to, you know, not properly let somebody know they're not a good fit. So I think that's the hard conversation that we have to have with business owners is whether you hire someone like us or you do it yourself, like you got to find somebody who's going to check the box and say, I own hiring. And that fundamentally is where a lot of businesses have a huge opportunity. Who owns hiring in your company? Like who's responsible if hiring doesn't progress this month? Who are you pointing a finger at? And usually what you'll find is it's like, well, my project manager does some of the interviews and, you know, Jack in the office yeah. does the job postings and then Michaela helps when she can. And it's like, okay, so you're going to get 10 people in a room and yell at all of them. You know, that doesn't uh, yeah. seem, you know, it's everybody. It's nobody. Well, that's, I mean, that's good advice for anything. Like who's responsible for material orders? <laughs> who's responsible? You know, if you're having to point fingers at 20 different people, then it doesn't work. Right. Um, okay. So we've, we understand that there's a lot involved in just terms of uh, uh, tracking this, the applicants, but it's really, again, mirroring the sales and marketing process. You get a lead, speed to lead matters, speed to candidate matters. Um, and then also that rejection process is kind of different than with customers um, because it's not, you do have to reject customers, but it's just not nearly as often as you do with candidates because you may get a hundred applicants for a role and you've got to reject 99. And, and do you, do you actually reject them or you just let them wander off and not respond? Uh, well, I, you said protect your brand. So I know where you stand, but why don't you talk to us more about that, Matt? Well, I think, you know, here's the thing, the, the, the hiring, hiring is a local game typically, right. Or it ends up being local, even if they don't, you know, at some point it becomes local, right. They're not, yeah. they're not flying in every day typically. Right. right? Yeah. So, you know, they're in your, they're in your backyard. If you come at it from the perspective of they might know somebody, they might be able to refer somebody, you might have an entry level position. A lot of times it's, I mean, gosh, we've seen it where we had a company where like a mechanic, I'll give you an example. So we have, this is why the applicant tracking system is so important. So we log for our clients, all these candidates, you know, everyone that applies and we reject them respectfully and we let them know why uh, this mechanic had applied for this carpenter role, you know, Hey, I'm slow, whatever. Well, Four months later, the company says, we need a yard mechanic, shop mechanic. Well, that person that they rejected really nicely was perfect. We already had him on the list. They ended up hiring him. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's, there's a certain level of, of communication that I think, because ask yourself, what do other companies do and how can I do it different and how can I do it better? Most companies are overwhelmed in the hiring process. You know, So yeah. what, what I found is if you can do it in a respectful way. If you can let a candidate know, Hey, I really appreciate it. I saw you did this and this, you made it second round. Like, here's why we didn't take you on. It's nothing personal. We'll let you know, what would you be interested in? Like having that data logged and doing that in a really nice way opens the door, especially if you're doing like, you know, project manager, usually getting people that are uh, underqualified, but who knows, maybe you need a project engineer later. Maybe you need some type of office assistant. Like you're building a candidate pool. We can't going back to that org chart, right? It's like, if you knew that org chart, you might look and go, huh, so I am actually in like three months gonna need this project engineer. I know he's not quite qual qualified or she for the project manager position, 
you know what? Hey, Alex, here's what I'm going to do. Can I interview you again in, in two months if you're available? Can I call you? Because I'm looking ahead at where we're going to be. And I think you'd be a good fit. Like all these little dial turns um, make a big difference in the process. Yeah. And I think just like you said, protecting your brand, every single, if it is local, especially every single person is going to know someone who is going to interact with your brand in some sort. Maybe it's the next candidate that applies. Maybe it's someone that calls as a lead. Maybe it's someone that's a neighbor of who's on your job, you know, you're the next to your job site, but they're going to interact somehow. And you want to leave a good taste in your mouth. Every experience with someone about your brand is an opportunity to delight and to continue to build that reputation. Because at the end of the day, it's not what you say about your brand. It's what other people say about your brand that defines it. So um, really good there. All right. We understand that we have to have a clear understanding of what we need from our org chart down to the role specifics. We've got to have the job description. We've got to get it out to the masses with lots of uh, lines and hooks in the water to find our ideal candidate. Let's walk into the actual selection process. You already mentioned that you may not be able to scan every single resume as well, and that may hurt you. But what are you exactly looking for when you look at a application? What allows you to select the right fit? It's a good question. Um, so the, the goal is to keep a wider, wider net, wider web, right? Because yeah. they might know somebody. So you need the resources and the bandwidth to do that. Um, one of the tricks is if you've ever been to a restaurant and you're waiting in line and then you see somebody kind of walk in and they just like walk right into the restaurant and you're like, I'm pretty sure that they weren't in line, right? You want to have a process that allows for for quick progression of candidates. So it's really interesting. If you, you want to start with a very fast informal interview, right? Driver's license, where do you live? Like immediate contact. The goal of that is to push out anybody that, you know, quickly, that's not a good fit. But what it also yeah. does is it allows you to take those really great candidates. Cause if you have an ACE, an A player, right? A 10 out of 10, let's say they just moved, you know, give your example, Oklahoma. I just moved there because my, my mom's sick and I had a business. I shut it down because I need to go back and help family. Like I'm a 10. I'm, I'm, I've got maybe a week to find a job. So if you have a slow hiring process where it's like informal interview in two days and then, okay, great. We'll call you back when the, you know, when our uh, operations manager is available to do the second interview, that's three days. You've already lost them. So having a way for really good candidates to move to a skills assessment phase is so important. And a skills assessment is a way for us to validate their skill set. So like we did this in the masonry side because the old school way of, of validating candidate skill sets, like when we're hiring bricklayers, you know, or block layers or concrete finishers, you know, my dad would throw them in and he'd call me at lunch, right? He'd be like, hey, did we send them home or is he or she going to make it? And I'd be like, oh, dad, I got to send two of them home. Like this isn't working out. You know, one I sent home at nine. Like that was the old way of doing construction. But it hurts culture because if you do that enough times, like me, I was like, oh, dad, you got another good one. This one's the one, you know, we had three ones this week, you know, but this is the one, the one. Um, a skills assessment is basically they would come to my yard. I'd hand them a, a, a drawing of what they're going to build. There'd be a stack of bricks, stack of block. We do an intake form, right? Okay. You knew stucco. Great. You knew this. Great. You knew this. It was paid and we got to see what they could do. So I could take somebody from informal interview to skills assessment in 24 hours. Wow. And then I could validate what they do, pay them really well for it, 
And so it just, it, it, it opened up wonders. So if you could find a way to do this for every single role, office managers, project managers, estimators, operations managers, it, it eliminates the need for friction because if you're like, oh, I think this one's really good, informal interview, maybe there's a quick, you know, uh, semi-formal interview, we'll call it, but right to a skills assessment. Let's see if they can deliver because if they can, now all I got to do is go back and make sure culture fit and soft skills. You, you pique my interest yeah. all the time you were talking. There's that old saying that you hire for skill and fire for attitude and you're smiling. You've probably heard that a million times. Uh, how do you do the culture fit? Uh, that seems to be the harder one that they're going to, uh, that they're going to fit in and not be disruptive to your culture and that they have same, how, how do you do that? So well, I'll give you what I do for my construction company. And then we talk about other clients, but so one of the things with us is we're very much, we're a passionate group of people in the sense that we, you'll fit in at my company if you really love the work. Right. You love masonry and concrete. Like you really love it. I mean, I know everything about it. I, I bricklayer 500 world of concrete. Like you know, we go to the events. So we're like masonry and concrete fanatics. And so one of the things I do is during the interview process, we have questions and we ask, you know, do you be passionate about the work? Give me an example, like all that generic stuff. But I ask one powerful question. Awesome. Do you have any photos of recent work that you've done that I could see? I can tell you with about 99% accuracy. That if that person has a phone filled with beautiful photos that they took at the end of a job where the work is hosed down and it looks great and, you know, the sun is setting in the background because they worked a long day and they got that photo, <laughs> every single one of us in my company has done that. Like that was me with my dad. My dad would be looking at it, you yeah. know, and then with my foreman. So it's, you got to find, I gave that example to say, you have to find the thing that like if. Culture is tough, right? You're, you're, you're going to have to file down the edges, I think. In this, in this day and age, again, going back to the unicorn example, I don't believe that we're going to find the perfect fit every time. I think, you know, it's like, you know, I'm married, my daughter's too, right? Like, I think I, I, I learned that in life, some things, you know, some things you can work through and grow and work towards, and other things are non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable that you're not passionate about the work at my, you know, my construction company. So what are the one two or three things that you define your culture the most that you're like, Hey, if they have this one thing, they're probably 80, 90% of fit. And then what's one way or two ways going back to the mosquitoes, right? The little things that you can validate that. And that'll tell you, I mean, the photos for us, I know, I mean, I've done this so many times. I've had a project manager and I asked them, I'll be like, Hey, did, did he have any photos in his phone? No, his phone was broken. Okay. You feel good about him? Yeah, yeah we should hire him. Okay. We'll see. I'll put a note on my calendar for two weeks, is so-and-so still working here? Question mark. Nine times out of 10, they're not. It's I just have a weird to just thing. mention this. Uh, about a year ago, we had uh, an episode and I talked about Shepard Concrete. Remember him, Khalil? Uh, yeah. What a fantastic guy was. I mean, I bring him up all the time, con concrete guy. Well, we were building a parking lot and I, I'm not skilled engineer. And I wanted to trust the guy. So I found this guy and I said, hey, can we see some of your work? And he said, yeah. Sunday afternoon, he comes and he gets me. We drive about 30 miles showing me we're driving through parking lots and he's pointing down, but then he pulls over and he pulled out 150 pictures on his phone. Those two inch rebar in there. That's 20 feet deep. This took us. And I mean, I was tired of looking at the pictures, but I knew I had my guy and he turned out to be 
so good. I mean, I still recommend him if anybody needs concrete down here. Uh, Bill Shepard at Shepard Concrete, call me. Right. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, exactly. This that. episode sponsored by. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, it was it, exactly that. When as soon as you said that, I thought, oh yeah, that is it. I'm not. I wasn't trying to work for him, but he sold me completely because he just loved it. Anybody that loves it that much isn't going to mess mm-hmm. you up. Anyway, just so that's amazing. Uh, so we've we we understand kind of what we're looking for and you know we've kind of understand that we need to have that fast pass uh is what i would call it a uh, vip lane whatever for the the a players but i want to understand uh really what i consider to be one of the most important things with candidates is an onboarding process and i really see a lack of it uh in the construction industry typically it's really just kind of like what you mentioned your dad does for his, the skills assessment, where it's just throw them on the job side and see what happens type thing, or have them follow around Rick and see if you know they can learn from Rick over for a week and then put them on their own, right? So what do you talk about with onboarding process? What's important to you and your team and the clients that you work for? Thinking back to what we put in the course, because um, we do it, we've got a more robust version of it because we've tweaked it over the years um, internally in our in our companies. But um, I mean, the main thing, so I'm a simple guy, right? Don't have a business degree. Started laying brick when I was nine. So everything to me comes down to like, you know, what are we after? So what is onboarding? I'm trying to set them up for success. So I know it's like the first impression of any restaurant or anywhere you go. I know the first few days matter the most. So I typically, we look at the first two weeks and then I look at the first two days specifically, and and there's a checklist that we have. So it's like, you know, do you have your logins? Who's your, you know, who do you go to for what certain problems you have? You know, communication. Um, you know, who, we do a buddy system, right? So they have one person they can go to at all times, unless it falls under certain categories, then they escalate it. Um, you know, like what what is the goal of the onboarding? But so I think it's having a checklist with the main goal of setting them up for success and saying, okay. For the first you know, day, two days, and two weeks, what's everything they need um, and making sure that they have that and establishing your company, your culture, introductions. Um, there's a lot to that. So you know, this, this is a time-consuming one, but when you do it once and do it right, you can rinse and repeat. Um, so I think that's really important. But I think what I found that might be a little bit more important for busy companies is having a process for when your onboarding isn't perfect. And that process is, if you establish a check-in, so like any, if you come work at our construction company, we have a check-in at the, two, at the two-week point, 30 days, 90 days, and 120 days. And so we create an environment where you already know on the 14th day, you're gonna sit down with your direct report, you're gonna check in, how's things going, this is working, this is not. And so when you establish an open line of communication, it doesn't feel like this big, heavy thing where it's like, oh my gosh, I've been here for two weeks and they're pulling me in the office. They got to tell me something. What did I do? Am I going to make it? So I think having the communication in place and having a, a plan for if things don't go perfectly is just as important as having a really good plan because it's a catch-all, right? At 14 days, somebody if, they're, if something's not perfect, they'll bring it up, they'll communicate. You can work through things if they're the right person. Um, so I think it's a two-sided coin. Yeah, definitely. I always think with with onboarding, you know, you dedicate so we've already the things that we've talked about 
for from start to finish of under, getting a clear understanding, getting the job descriptions, knowing your org chart, uh, doing the interviews, having a speed to lead. All this stuff takes a lot of time and diligence. And I see too many people say that it didn't work out with this candidate when they didn't put any time into the onboarding process of thinking about what the experience is going to be like on day one, what they're going to know about our company and our customers. How are they going to meet the team? What are those interactions going to be like? If they have a question, are, can they only go to the direct report or who are the other people in the team they can ask questions to when the direct report's busy with whatever he's got going on? So I think that onboarding process is so critical and you should invest a lot of time and energy in your hiring funnel per se and how that works from start to finish. But do it just as much if you can, if not more on the onboarding process because if you find the right person but you don't give them the attention and time and resources that they need to be able to succeed, then you've really just spent all this time for for nothing because uh, they're gone. So anyways, that's that's my two cents. I love it. Um, what are we missing, man? What else is a part of this process that we should know, Matt? Oh, man. Um, six, we've covered 63 modules six, and we've covered yeah. eight. Retention. Yeah, I mean, re exactly. Retention, uh, maybe is something we can stick yeah. on the on the end here before we get really into, I'm really interested in seeing and hearing about your 63 module course, but retention, one of the biggest things, you know, it's like keeping a customer is a lot better than, than trying to acquire new ones yeah. all the time. So we, we found that if, and these, like the onboarding and the, and the retention are, are huge. They're my, my retention is my favorite. They're very bespoke. Right. And so, there, every company you you we've seen onboarding that's completely different and successful, right? We've seen some companies yeah. where they're like they come running in and they're like celebrities and they're like clapping and oh my god, they're screaming, right? And we've seen other companies where it's like you show up, they're like, look, what kind of coffee you like? They have it for you. It's more intimate. So I want to go back to that for one second and just say like it's okay to find the processes that work for your company. And we do this for companies U.S., Canada, we're about to go into the U.K. market and Australia market. So. Like we've seen different onboarding plans and there's a wide range of things that work as long as you put the time and attention and the fundamentals, like for sure, super important. Same thing with culture, right? And, and, and how we retain people. It needs to be unique to your company, but the principles of culture, if, if you ask yourself, so a couple of things we do that are like principle-based that anybody can do. One is what's called an honest employee audit. So we've created a framework of questions on a one to 10 scale that gives us a pulse check of how everybody in the company's feeling, you know, on, on a scale of one to 10, how value do I feel for my hard work? You know, on a scale of one to 10, how, how hurt is the input that I, you know, uh, instill in my company? I don't remember them all offhand, but this is really important because as you have more layers in your company, your managers are like, yeah, everyone in the field is happy. They love it. Everyone's good. Right. And then Tom quits and you're like, what happened? It's like, oh, Tom had a bad day and you know, Tom's family life's getting in the way. And right. When we do these honest employee audits, we, we recommend you do them quarterly at least. Um, what you'll find is like, we, we did one early on uh, uh, this year. I mean, February now, but like in early January, business owner was certain everyone was happy. He got an average of three out of 10 for happiness around pay. I'm like, that's the data. I mean, they clicked the button, you know, you had 28 employees and 30, you know, 30% 30 satisfaction. So having a way in which you can see the problems is huge, right? For culture. Cause it's like, what do I, how do I maintain it, create it or fix it? Got to know what the problems are. So that's one. Um, 
assuming I have that, the other question I'd ask myself is, what is our culture? So we want to clearly define it. And the big thing I would look at is how are you creating fun and connection? Like, what does that look like? So for example, like if you look at us as humans, right? It's like, well, we need water, we need food, we need shelter, like those things. You're not usually having fun if you don't have those three things. Fun is like the bonus. So if you look at it with a company, it's the same concept. It's like when the work isn't super stressful and you have enough people, fun is like the last thing you get to. It's like, we'll have fun when everything else is done. I like to flip it and say, where can I make things more fun and more exciting? Because I think when you consider somebody's willing to spend their career there, how do you create fun? How do you create engagement? How are you making people feel rewarded? So are you celebrating birthdays? Do you do company events where everyone gets together? Um, you know, we have some companies that'll do a spin wheel with basic prizes and they'll give away like a company brand and poker chip for like things that they like to see done. And once a month they get together, they redeem their spins. You can win really cool stuff. Like it's, how are you making people feel special? How are you creating and fostering that teamwork? And then the best companies you'll find fun. You know, they do Halloween things. They do, and a lot of the smaller companies, like when we were much smaller, fun was the last thing on my mind. Last thing on my mind. Yeah. I think uh, retention is a whole nother topic that deserves so much time because if you if you are not retaining employees, let's say the average lifetime at your company is two years, essentially every two years, you have a new company and you're going to be stuck in the same problems. And if you're always having the same problems, you're not growing. You should have, you're going to have problems, but they need to be <laughs> progressing onto the ne the next problem. Not we're always dealing with the same crap. So, uh, retention is worth so much. I mean, we, everything that we just talked about for hiring, if you retain an employee, you don't have to go through that for one more person, you know? So every time you retain it, you don't have to go through that process. Um, obviously you're going to grow and you're gonna have to go, go through the hiring process regardless, but, uh, you don't want to work backwards. So. Man, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I think this is such valuable information for our, our listeners. Uh, you've mentioned uh, several things. I want to give you a, a moment to kind of share about each of them and how people can find access to your course, your service, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and I've had a blast too. This has been great. So yeah, thank you both. Um, yeah, the the website for the company, the contractor consultants, plural with an S at the end there, uh, .com. Um, we have a course that we built on this topic. So how do you find them? How do you vet them? How do you hire? You know, do you mail the offer letter? Do you bring them in, right? What's the hiring process like? And then how do you retain them? And then we do this for companies. Um, so we, we take like the administrative burden off of companies. We generate the candidates for them, screen them. We um, sift, sort, and screen. We set uh, final approved interviews on their calendar. Um, and then we help with the candidate rejection process. So so we take responsibility for that result for a small monthly fee. So anyone struggling, we'd be happy to sure our team can help. Excellent. Well, Martin, anything you have for no, me? I'll tell you, this is uh, fantastic. And I'm going to uh, get on there. Now, is the course uh, behind a paywall, the 63 module course? Uh, I mean, I would presume. Yeah, yeah. It would be. It yeah. better be. I, I mean, <laughs> as a whole course or how much, is, how much does the course cost? Uh, so the course is, I got to see, cause sometimes we, we have special things going on. So I'd, I'd have to check on that one. This is going to be, be timestamped okay. forever. I don't want to, I don't want to miss okay. that anyone. But all right, well check out, you, you can find see the prices listed on the, on the website. website. Yeah, this is fantastic. Okay. 
There we go. Good. We'll have all that in the show notes for listeners. Matt, thanks for being on. Uh, listeners, please subscribe. We'd love to have you as a follower here, but also on our other channels on social media, as well as especially YouTube. Um, and hope that you have better processes and better luck, or not, not, luck, not luck, better success yeah. with your hiring. Yeah, it's not luck. It's not luck. All right. Take care, guys. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.